This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 187, Kurt and Travis visit about backpacking in the James Peak Wilderness and summiting a 13er with Harley, Daniel, and Luke. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today, Travis and I are doing a show, and the first part of the show, we're going to do a little trip report about a backpacking trip we took with our boys a couple of weeks ago, and it's about climbing James Peak, which is a 13er here in the Front Range of Colorado, and I have Travis on the line. Travis, how are you, man? Good, buddy. How's everybody doing today? I really enjoyed our backpacking trip, and we took off to go into James Peak Wilderness to spend a couple of nights. We were going to do some trout fishing and hike around a little bit, and we kind of accidentally climbed James Peak. Yeah, that wasn't really the intention. I think we were uh, kind of planning on going for a day hike. This was more of a trip to get the the boys out there. My son, Harley, it was his the day before his um, 12th birthday, and I wanted to get him out and get him on his first backpacking trip and maybe take a day hike without the packs the next day and and yeah, you're right. We just kind of decided that James Peak looked too tempting and, and we thought we might go up it. So it ended up being his, uh, his first big ascent. It was, uh, ele- he was 11 years and 364 days and, and it kicked his butt, but he made it up. Yeah. It was a good climb. James Peak wilderness is nestled in the deep valley right in front of James Peak. And it's just gorgeous for as close to the front range of Colorado as it is. It's hard to find wilderness like this that is that accessible but you have to take a four-wheel drive road so if you don't have a four-wheel drive vehicle you know you can't get up there so that keeps the numbers of people down a little bit it wasn't crowded but we did see quite a few other people but man that valley was so gorgeous and we got up we're looking at the mountain and the weather was beautiful and it just kind of turned into why don't we just go hike up that thing yeah I got to be honest, you know, I've been back there a couple of times on motorcycles and riding. In fact, you and and myself and Harley had ridden back there once and we even stood right in that parking area and looked around at the 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 grand scenery in the area, but I didn't tell you this, but one of the things that kind of fascinated me was was that even though I had stood out there and looked at it, it was almost as if in the past it was just a backdrop, just just basic scenery, but we, I had never gone down in there and you had. So when we got down in there and then back out from that, from that trip, I had this realization like, wow, I mean, you can, you can ride around on bicycles or motorcycles and look at things from a distance, but you don't really get the true feeling and the, uh, the exposure and experience of an area until you're immersed in it. And it was just a weird, weird, weird realization that I had to get down in there and realize now it's kind of like three dimensional, you know, and I don't know how to explain that. I don't think I'm doing a very good job of explaining it, but it was just a, it was a neat realization when I got back out. Yeah, I get it. You know, when I first went motorcycling with you instead of uh four wheeling and when I say four wheeling, I mean in a four wheel drive car, um, I was amazed at how much more 
I got out of riding the motorcycle through the backcountry, and I really enjoyed it. But it's kind of like when you park the bike and you start hiking, then the pace slows down and the details start showing up. And, and you know, you don't really notice the details when you're flying by it at, at any sort of a speed. And so in my mind, you know, a car is better than a plane if you want to see the land. Then a motorcycle is better than a car. A mountain bike's better than a motorcycle. Hiking's better than a mountain bike. You know what I mean? And the best of all is to find a place where you can sit down and just soak it up. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's a big part of it is being able to sit down and soak it up. It was, uh, it, it, like you say, you, you can, every time you slow down, you get a little bit more of the environment and the experience. Of course, you give up. You don't get to cover, you know, much ground, but you do come to realize that everything that you go by is just, it's almost like watching a movie. It just happens to be there in the background, but you don't think much of it. You don't have time to think of it. So it's interesting to experiencing these areas different ways, you know, which is, it also brings up a a good point that, you know, even if you're kind of stuck in the same area, you know, we live in the front range of the Rocky Mountains. Um, We only often only have weekends to go out there and have fun, but to do it different ways makes the land completely different each time you do it. So if I go out there and backpack into it, it is a completely different trip than going out there and motorcycling or, uh, you know, riding a mountain bike through it. It makes the same land uh, usable and a different experience every time, which is really kind of neat. Yeah, and I like to do everything. I like to do it, you know, whatever the plan is, if it's on a, a mountain bike or a motorcycle or a backpacking, I like to encounter it all those different ways because each experience is unique and has something great to offer. So this beauty of adventure sports is that it allows you, all these sports allow you to get out in nature and experience it in so many different ways. So anyway, I thought it was a really fun trip. And James Peak Wilderness is gorgeous. We should describe what it's like for uh, our listeners. Yeah, I mean, man, you you can probably describe it better than me. But, you know, we went in there on, um, what, Friday afternoon, Friday evening. And it wasn't a very long hike in there. It was pretty, uh, pretty steep hike going down in. But once you get down into that James Peak Valley, um, the – it's just lush. You know, there's streams running through it coming down off of James Peak itself and you're surrounded, you know, at least 270 degrees, um, on the west, north and south by the mountains and you're just buried into this valley. It's absolutely beautiful. The wind is pretty much non-existent because you're down in that valley. Um, and just the, uh, the feeling of being down there in the solitude and, and really so close to the front range. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. The wildflowers were amazing. I saw probably the biggest patch of columbines that I've ever seen in my life, which is pretty cool. I mean, it was just, I don't know, an acre of columbines, like someone planted them, you know, growing like grass on a lawn. So it's all lavender and yellow and white and green. You know, so that that was cool. Um, the area has a variety of trees, but you're kind of just below tree line, which is also nice because then you get that, that upper tundra with all the beautiful smaller flowers that are there. And there are a series of lakes up there, two big ones. One is James Peak Lake. The other one is Echo Lake. And James Peak Lake is right at the base of the James Peak face. And that face of James Peak is is jagged and rugged. If you wanted to climb that face, you probably should have a rope. Um, someone might climb it without a rope, but it's technical enough that I think, you know, it's going to be class five plus climbing with a lot of exposure. And man, there's some cliffs and it's just, it's really impressive. So they've got that backdrop right behind James Peak Lake. And then Echo Lake is 
a little bit farther north and away from the peak, but it also is right up against a cliff face, and it's a deep lake that obviously was carved in there by some glaciers a long, long time ago. Fishing in that lake was awesome. Crystal clear water. I mean, you can just look down into the water and watch the fish swimming by. It was neat. Yeah, the one thing we did up there was uh, do some fly fishing. And Harley, I had mentioned my son Harley, it was his uh, it was his 12th birthday weekend. He had never fly fished, you know, so you guys and, and I all brought up fly rods and Harley had a spinner rod. Well, he had fished um, the previous day, what, Saturday uh, evening, he had fished with a spinner and didn't really want to try the fly rod. But finally, by the end of Sunday, before it was time to head on out of there, he decided he would try the fly rod and he absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, in fact, it became his birthday gift. It was a, a last minute thing. But now Harley is completely into fly fishing and uh, that, that one trip turning on to a, a whole new adventure yeah. sport. And that was his first backpacking trip too, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, the point of me getting him out there is, uh, you know, I wanted to get him into backpacking because I wanted to get back into it. And the fact that he was able to discover backpacking, he, which he absolutely fell in love with, and also discover fly fishing on the same trip, and it opened up a whole new world to him. Har- Harley does hiking with me, day hikes and and you know stuff around here. But to be honest, I haven't been hiking much myself in the past probably six, seven years. You know, motorcycles have kind of taken over my my free time, as everybody probably knows by now, all of our listeners. Um, but what was neat about that is Harley was able to discover backpacking and hiking to the extent of climbing a, a 13er. Uh, but at the same time, it rekindled my passion and my love for, for strapping a pack on and, and going out and living out of that at the same time. So I'm kind of really looking forward to the rest of the summer and as well as next summer to, uh, to get out there and do more backpacking myself. It's nice to be back into it. Yeah, it's really rewarding, I think. And Harley's a perfect age to take this up. I think with younger kids... Day hikes are great. Car camping is great. You can even go backpacking a limited distance by carrying a lot of their gear. But Harley was big enough to carry his own weight and to summit a major peak. And so I think he's a perfect age, you know, almost 12 years old. And I think that's that's really when it's best to get kids out there. Um, Luke started backpacking a little bit earlier. And the reason is just because he's the youngest in our family. And he just wouldn't put up with staying at home anymore, you know, when we're all headed out to go backpacking. So <laughs> Luke started earlier, and I did carry a lot of his gear at first. But now Luke carries his own gear, and he was along on this trip, too. Daniel was there. Daniel is our fly fishing expert. And uh, Dan's been backpacking now for a couple of years, and he had uh, a really good time. And he was trying to show us all how to fly fish better. Because Daniel is, has really studied it, and he is an expert at it. I I say that, and he always humbly says, oh, I don't think so. But I say, yeah, well, you're comparing yourself to world champions, and you could probably compete with those guys, you know. Right. So anyway, he was trying to get us into some fish. And, of course, Dan did catch fish, and the rest of us didn't. <laughs> but it was still fun to uh, learn a little bit from Dan and to spend some time up there. You know, if I'm... If I'm up there, I don't have to fish. I just as soon sit on the lake and just enjoy the scenery. But if I catch a fish or two, that's fun too. Yeah, but when Dan caught those trout and threw them on the the stove and cooked them up that that night, and then for breakfast, uh, yeah, I was introduced to a whole new life of uh, of fresh fish caught out of the the Colorado Lake. That's Dan's got me hooked on fly fishing just for that reason alone. Yeah, and we got to use our 180 stove to cook up the fish and uh, just grill them over that stove. That's one of my favorite things about it. A stove that you can use as a grill that's light enough to not only 
be light enough to backpack with. It's actually lighter than the vast majority of backpacking stoves with fuel. So anyway, it was cool that we could do that. And you can grill on it. So you could grill a steak if you carried it in. You can grill a fish that you catch. Um, so yeah, and that fish was amazing. I, there's nothing better than the way Dan grills up those fish in the backcountry. <laughs> I know the boy even brings his own seasonings. And I think there was some smoke pack in in that batch. And I told him he had to mix me up a, a seasoning mix just for my own use in the future. Yeah, yeah, that's that was a good time. So we should probably talk about climbing the mountain. And, you know, we recently started advertising with Biotropic. And Biotropic is a supplement that's supposed to help you when you're exercising. It's uh, supposed to help you get more ATP and better oxygen saturation in your blood and all this stuff. So we thought, well, shoot, if we're going to climb a mountain, we'll take the supplement and see what happens. So what did you think of that? Yeah, you know, I got to be completely honest. I was I was a little surprised. Um and to be completely candid, I not knowing supplements um myself, not having dealt with them and had a reason to take them necessarily. I've asked, you know, a couple of supplements people who should be taking these. If I'm just a weekend warrior, you know, should I really be taking these? Does it matter? And you know, so the answer is yes, you get some benefit out of it. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into an infomercial. It's more about just getting our initial thoughts on this. But my experience, and I think we we kind of shared the same experience we talked about this, was that I had taken them. I took them for this trip just to to understand if they worked for me or not. And what really surprised me, and this, this is completely anecdotal at this point, um, because I don't have a good baseline to compare it to, but what surprised me was that Having been out of backpacking and, uh, and summiting higher peaks, you know, for six or seven years, I really thought that it was going to kick my butt a lot more than it did. And that was a, that was a steep climb. I mean, I've climbed 14ers that weren't nearly as much hiking and, and altitude gain, um, as rapidly as, as James Peak was the route we took. But what surprised me is that I really stuck in there a lot better than I thought. I mean, I felt great the entire time. And again, this is anecdotal because I don't have a good baseline, but I have to think that the biotropic supplements had something to do with that. I think there's further testing than I'll plan on doing. In fact, I'm going to go ride some single track this weekend on the motorcycle for three days, which can kick my butt by the end of the day. So that is my baseline. That's that's where I know whether it is really because of the supplement or I'm just really a strapping, you know, in shape guy and didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what I said about it is uh, I have strong days and not so strong days when I'm backpacking and climbing and stuff. And I've been doing a, a fair bit of backpacking and mountaineering over the last few years. And climbing that day was definitely a strong day. And it was not an easy mountain, man. It was a bit of a butt kicker the way that we went. And I remember we got up to the top and Luke had stayed back in camp because Luke had an upset stomach, which was really a, a bummer for him because he had recently summited his first 14er and we'd like to get a 13er into the mix. But regardless, when we got to the top, I thought, you know what, I better go back and check on Luke. Um, it's It's been a while. So I decided to run down back to camp instead of hiking. And I thought about that as I was running down the mountain. I thought, you know what, I I'm not a strong distance runner by any stretch of the imagination and to be able to climb a peak like that and then turn around and run down and still feel okay and then the next day not even be sore i thought hmm now i'm not saying it was biotropic 
All I'm saying is that 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 was a strong experience for me. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I I think that I don't have enough information yet and enough experience to say, yeah, this is absolutely the reason. But I guess I wanted to throw it out there just as a – if somebody asked me right now, I would say, you know what? Go ahead and try it because from my experience, I am led to believe – I I feel like it had a big part of my – endurance and as you mentioned the recovery the next day so i'm pretty i'm pretty stoked to try it uh off in the future as i do things that i have a better uh, feel for my my baseline and how i felt the last few times i was out and see how biotropics can uh can make a difference so we'll see again we're not we're not looking to do an infomercial here but we just wanted to share our our thoughts and feelings on this in case any of you guys were curious uh about it as we were yeah, and I wanted to throw one more thing out there, and I want to talk about the details about the climb because it's really cool. But the thing I wanted to throw out is I was kind of hesitant to take on a supplement company in advertising because, you know, there's all the bad press about people doping and stuff. And I just want to make the point, this is nothing like that. This stuff is uh, echinacea. There's some Chinese herbs, and there's, let's see, some beet extract. And it's those kinds of natural ingredients, but it's just stuff that primes your body for, for activity, and it's it's all natural. So people can go to the, the website for a biotropic if they want to get all the details. But the point is, it's it's all natural stuff that just kind of gets your body primed and ready to, to get in some action. So it, it seems like it worked. It was kind of fun to try it out. I'm pretty anxious to try it out on some uh, other activities I do normally because I'm I'm curious if you know if 43 years old I'm I'm an in shape person but I'm not a bodybuilder I sit in front of a computer all day so for me if it's something that is going to give me that edge I'm I'm all for it you know if it if it lets me enjoy the activities that much more and lets me recover that much better then as far as I'm concerned I'm in you know. So, but everybody has to decide whether it works for them. You know, who knows if it works for everybody, but I'd say it's worth trying for sure. Go to the site and check them out. I think he's even got a money back guarantee. So don't forget to use uh, the coupon code adventure and, and get a savings and try it for yourself. So enough about biotropic. That's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bentgate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bentgate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. Have you heard of the Sayuai Iris 4G Action Camera? It's Adventure Sports' first always-connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sioi.com and sign up for free. Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skimboarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers and join in on the fun as it happens. That's live.sioeye.com.
What do you think of that view? It's a nice view. It's one giant bowl. Just, just, just so. Look at that massive view of snow. Do we have to walk through that? Uh, yep. The trail goes oh right there. Gosh. Still snow, and it's what July eighth. Yeah. Yep. And plenty of mosquitoes. Let's talk about the route that we took. I wanted to kind of describe to people the different ways of getting up. You alluded to, you know, climbing, uh, you know, roping up and, and rock climbing if you wanted to. But if somebody wanted to go try James Peak, um, there are what, probably five, six ways to get up there. Oh yeah, at least. So we had, uh, when you go up into the parking area from the east side, if you come up from Denver and from the Rollinsville area, you can park there at the top of the dirt road and you can go, you know, along the road to the south and then cut west and go up the south side of, of James Peak. And it's a really a, a pretty nice climb. In fact, Harley and I came back down that way because we were curious about it on that side. You guys came down the north side, the steeper side that we had gone up and, to climb James Peak from that south side would be a really nice day day hike and with not much exertion in the grand scheme of things. But the way that, that our crew went up uh, on Saturday and climbed it, tell tell the people a little bit more about that. Sure. So um, James Peak is 13,301 feet. And where we started was somewhere around 10.5 probably. So we're getting in, what, about 3,000 vertical feet. So Similar to a lot of 14ers out there as far as the elevation goes. So it was much more difficult because we had dropped into that valley pretty deep the night before. And as we're coming up, we were off trail. And I I have to tell people, I do off trail hiking. But if you're off trail hiking, then there's some rules that should be followed. And I always throw this out there, especially because we ended up above tree line up in the tundra. And in some places, that would just destroy the tundra. So you got to be aware of, of how heavily used an area is and take care of it. But some of the rules are you don't follow each other single file and step in the same places, right? You, you scatter out. So each person is is only leaving their own footprint. So, that, you know, a single plant doesn't get hit twice. Also, you try to walk on rocks and avoid stepping on the undergrowth and stuff like that as much as possible. And you don't want to, like, be ripping through scree slopes and tearing stuff up. Instead, it's it's really a leave-no-trace style of hiking. So you kind of pick your way really carefully and take care of it. And when it's all said and done, it would take someone with a an amazing tracking skill to be able to even see where you had walked. So we were off trail. Um, that also can be dangerous. Rock slides and things like that are much more likely if you're off trail. Um, it was very, very steep which, you know, created a lot more exertion. And so we headed up this mountain, and it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. We were headed up the shoulder, and that was the steepest part. It probably took us, man, close to two hours just to summit the shoulder of the mountain to get out of the valley. And then we were able to cruise along the shoulder for about a mile and then zigzag up the peak. We intersected um, the Continental Divide Trail, and so we were able to use that to go on up to the top of the mountain. And uh, so that was our route. It was really impressive, the views from the top. Yeah, just being able to stand up on the, the top ridge and look west, you can see all the way up through the, the Highway 40 Valley, um, you know, over Winter Park and up, you know, almost to, to Grand Lake. 
uh, you can just see forever and then well into Wyoming from that vantage point. And that's one of the things that, that blew Harley's mind. Um, I don't even think we've driven up Pikes Peak or anything in the car with him. And we've been to Rocky Mountain National Park, of course, but you don't quite get that, that feeling and that, that experience as you do is standing on top of the, the peak that you just worked so hard to summit. So he was just looking out and was just in awe at the, you know, the miles, the horizon that you could see from the top of James Peak. Yeah, it's pretty cool. To the south from up there, you can see Bierstadt and Evans. You can see Grays and Tories. You can see um, a line of other 13ers like Perry and probably Bard and Parnassus. You could probably see from up there too. I'm not sure. But the thing that was really cool to me is off to the southwest, almost due west, um, we could see on the horizon Mount of the Holy Cross. And oh, that's, Holy Cross. That's right. That yeah. Was cool. The 14er Holy Cross is in Holy Cross Wilderness, and it's west and a little bit south of Vail, Colorado. We're in the front range, and for those of you who don't know, to drive from Denver to Vail, it's 90 miles. It's it's a like a two-hour drive, and we're standing on a peak in the front range, and we're able to see all the way past Vail and, and see the, the snow coolers that make the 1,000-foot-tall white cross on Mount of the Holy Cross. So anyway, I thought that was really cool that we could see that far. Lots of mountains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I had never seen it before. I didn't know much about Holy Cross. And when you pointed it out, it's pretty cool to see, especially the, the distances you're looking at. It's pretty neat. Yep. So we decided that we were about done on top. And just before, we, I guess it was just after we headed down, then that Cold Springs fire took off the other side of Netherland. Yeah, we saw that thing just just a little puff of smoke over there to the to the northeast in Netherland. And uh, the what did it take? I think it took us... A little bit longer than you guys, but we were somewhere in the neighborhood of an hour, hour and a half to get back down. And the entire time hiking down is just, we saw it, you know, just bloom up into a massive, uh, massive plume of smoke. And it took, I think it took eight homes ultimately before they finally got it out. But, uh, yeah, it was crazy to watch that thing start out. It's just a, an infant little fire and blow up into something so huge. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes if people want to see some of the pictures that we took of that. But man, what a reminder to be careful with fire. Turns out there are some uh, people from out of state that were camping and they were camping illegally. They built a fire on private property that they shouldn't have built. And instead of dousing it, they threw some dirt on it and thought that was good enough. So the wind kicks up and the rest of the story is, you know, loss of homes, forest, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres. Firefighters fought that blaze for how many days before it was contained? I mean, it's just out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it just goes to show, I mean, these guys had had a conversation about whether they should do more to put the fire out. And they ultimately decided that it was good enough. And man, I mean, you guys out there camping, just think about that story. And if you're ever questioning whether you did enough, you probably didn't because it all it took was some winds to pick up and it was $2.4 million worth of damage. Of course, a, a massive blight in a beautiful area. Um, so yeah, if you're questioning whether you've put a fire out or not, um, well enough, then you probably haven't, you know, if you, there's even a question in your mind. So good lesson to learn for sure. Yeah. My boys and I drove through that area this weekend, Travis, because we wanted to fish up on the St. Vrain. And so we got to see the burn for the first time up close. And uh, we actually dodged a bullet on this one. And the reason I say that is that we had a wet spring in early summer. Things had started to dry out. 
but there weren't even burn bans yet in in Boulder County where the fire started anyway. There were burn bans other places in the state, but um, the trees were, were pretty moist and pretty supple still compared to how they often are when forest fires come ripping through. And if it weren't for that, it could have easily taken Netherland. You know, we're talking yeah. about thousands of homes. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they were lucky that it stayed on the north side like it did. Yeah, and it when we looked at it, we could see it was a different kind of a burn. There were more small limbs left on the trees that just wouldn't burn because they were still fairly wet. And the fire, um, it was a major, major forest fire. But I think that because of the conditions, we really got lucky. You could see where the fire just didn't quite eat the whole tree. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that means it was probably blowing through there pretty quickly underneath and getting to the next ones. Yep. And the point of all of that is that had it been drier, it would have been worse. And as easily as this fire was started, man, people just be aware. These forest fires are so devastating. And when conditions are dry, luckily conditions weren't horribly dry for this one. But when conditions are dry, man, it only takes a spark. It it gets out of control. Definitely something to be aware of. Yep. So what's our next plan? What are we going to hit next? We talked about going up and maybe doing Mount Ida. Yeah, that um, that would be cool. And Dan's wanting to get to Heart Lake. Yeah, well, once we figured out what Heart Lake, Heart Lake was, it's funny. We we're standing on top of the, the ridge or the summit of James Peak looking down on this lake and just kind of questioning what it might be. And you guys finally got it. You said, I think that might be Heart Lake. And finally, somebody confirmed it for us. But yeah, that would be a neat hike to get up there. It's a yeah. beautiful area. Another so another great valley, just higher elevation than the James Peak Valley. Yep. Yeah, the whole, you know, the, the Front Range area north of I-70, you are in Roosevelt National Forest, and then it becomes Indian Peaks Wilderness, and then it becomes Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's just kind of like the farther north you go, the, the more impressive it gets, but it's all really impressive. And I have not done a whole lot in the Front Range. And the reason is because it's close to Denver. It tends to get a little crowded. I, I like to drive deeper into the Rockies and pick a route with fewer people. But every time I go into like Indian Peaks or something like that, I am so impressed with the scenery. So beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing where you can get to just by going just a little bit west from Denver. It's a it's a special treat for sure. Well, I know for, for one, I'm going to let go of the handlebars a little bit more often on the motorcycles. I mean, they take up a lot of my time and I love it, but it just really has inspired me to get back into backpacking. And I mean, my equipment is pretty old, but it'll do. <laughs> I think I can handle it. So uh, let's get out there this summer and, and do it more. And we were doing some winter camping and snow cave camping uh, a few winters ago, but we need to get back into that too. It's uh you know, it's funny how work and life and kids take that extra time, but you got to make sure you, you squeeze in the good stuff too. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'd like to tell a little bit of a story on Harley. Yeah, sure. So Harley might mind, but he's not here. Um, when we came backpacking out of that valley, it's it's a very steep climb. And matter of fact, we were, we were joking around about it because it used to be a wagon road. But it was one of those things where you would have to have a belay line on a wagon to get a team of horses down in some of those places. It would have just completely overrun the horses. It is unbelievably steep. In places, you can barely walk. It's that steep. And it's grueling hard work. And Harley had just climbed his first 13 or the day before. So hiking out of there with a heavy pack, um, I think he found out something about himself, Travis. And I could see that look in his eye when he got to the top and he had conquered it. You know, like, wow, I can do that. And that's the reason that you got to get kids out doing these things. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they, 
I think everybody, you know, kids and adults sometimes view these things from a distance, just thinking, ah, that's for strong people. That's for adventurous people. But you know what? All you have to do is put one foot in front of the other and you will quickly find out that you too can conquer that. And I think that's what Harley found out. Once you could see him as we were going up the steep ridge, um, to, to reach the shoulder before we went up to James Peak and Summit, um, he was really, really lagging behind us all. And we stopped for a little break and something clicked in him and he started motoring up that hill. And pretty soon he was all the way up on top of the ridge as we were approaching him. And he's just looking back on us and you could just see that it had clicked and he, he realized it. You know, it was like, man, I, I did that. You know, now I'm up to this next level and I did that. And look at James Peak up ahead of me. I'm going to do that. And he had the same feeling the next day, like you just described coming up out of there. So it was really neat to watch. And obviously you saw it too. Yeah. That was really cool. I love to see people find out things about themselves and, and a world open up to them like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we have a, a few audio clips from that um, excursion that we'll wrap into this episode um, so people can, you know, we'll, we'll play those. Um, but we'll also make sure we get the link up for the photos from it too, because it was fun. If you guys are looking for a little bit of inspiration to get out and do something cool, then check that out and, uh, share this podcast episode with friends who might need a little kick in the butt as well. And honestly, you don't have to plan a, a week long vacation to Colorado. If you don't live here to do this kind of stuff, you know, everybody's got really cool places to explore in their own backyards. You just have to get out there and, and check them out. You might be surprised at what's out there. Yeah, for sure. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180TAC.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. Alright, so Harley, you've done your first 13,000 plus peak. How do you feel? Awesome. And tired. And tired. How's it feel coming back down? Like heaven. (laughs) Heaven compared to coming up, huh? Like I could just run down it. But do you feel like you can accomplish anything now? Maybe not anything, but a lot more stuff. Good. Do you feel like, you know, now that you exerted so much energy coming up, do you feel rewarded that you finally got to the top? Like, maybe you'll want to continue doing this? Yes. All right. 
when I get to the top, I'm just like, best moment ever. Best moment ever, that's right. Well, it's good. It brought beautiful views, and now you can see why people do this. It is a lot of work, but there's a reason behind it. You get up and see these these views, and it's just not a lot of opportunity to see those views, not even in cars. No. So it's well worth the, the effort. Now you get to relax going down. You get to get down and cook up a nice dinner. And, and then go fish. And <laughs> go fish, that's right. All right, a well, good deal. We will continue doing this and get up some more. Yeah. And I wanted to point something out that I just discovered recently, and a lot of you people already know this, but I looked up prominence when it comes to mountains and surveying and mountaineering. And prominence is a really cool thing. So in Colorado, there are different counts for 14ers depending on this one thing, prominence, right? How high is that peak above the nearest saddle, essentially? And that's what determines if a mountain is a mountain or if it's a part of a larger mountain. So the reason I bring all this up is so there are 54, roughly, 14ers in Colorado. There are 700 peaks that are above 13,000 feet in Colorado. But the cool thing about prominence is there are lists online that you can look up that show the most prominent peaks in all the states that have peaks. And it creates new lists of things for people to do. And these prominent peaks may not be 14,000 feet. Maybe they're only 12,000 feet or 10,000 feet. But when you have a whole lot of verts going up to it, and it's the most prominent peak in the area, then it kind of really stands out as a real mountain to climb. And the reason I point it out is just that you don't have to be in Colorado to climb some really cool peaks. And if you look up the prominent peaks in any state, then you get a list of climbing that, you know, could feed a climbing habit for a long, long time. Oh, yeah, no doubt. doesn't have to be a, a 12 or 13 or 14,000 foot peak. It could be a, you know, a molehill in the in the, the corner of your state, but it's going to make for a good hike, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I do want to say before you and I break off from our conversation, um, as always, guys, be sure to, to leave us some comments. We want to hear some of your experiences. Uh, go to our, go to the Adventure Sports Podcast site and leave comments on this post. Uh, let us know, you know, things that you've been inspired to do or, or things that might be inspiring for others to read. Um, and as always, of course, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, go to our sponsors. Let them know that you heard about them from our show. It means a big, uh, a lot to us. Obviously, it keeps the show going. So, uh, feel free to, to browse over and, and find those guys and, and let them know that you're here because of us. You know, we've been enjoying some wonderful growth in the downloads for our podcast. Um, our growth rate is just about doubled recently. And that growth is what helps us to keep doing what we're doing. And that growth comes from people telling people about the show. So I want to say thank you guys again. I've said it many times before on the show, but thank you for sharing about the Adventure Sports Podcast with your friends. And uh, we like to get the word out to people that they can have fun, they can be healthy, they can connect with nature. You know, it can open up whole new segments of life. When you get out and start experiencing the stuff that we talk about, that we interview guests about and stuff like that. So thank you for telling your friends. It's working. Keep it up. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and don't forget, if you guys have somebody you want us to interview, uh, somebody you think that might be a great fit in the show, either reach out to us and let them know or let us know who it is or contact them uh, on our behalf and say, hey, you know, you should go uh, contact the guys at inter- uh, the Adventure Sports Podcast and do an interview because we can't find everybody. You guys uh, are out there reading 
uh, adventure publications and listening to other things. If there's somebody you hear, please uh, let them know or let us know and put us in touch because uh, we would love to get them on the show. We want to have many, many episodes for years to come on this show. And it's always a little bit of effort to to track people down and, and get tied or linked up with them. So if uh, if you feel like there's somebody out there, then absolutely put us in touch. Sure, that really helps. But something else I like to remind people of, the only prerequisite for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast is that you are passionate about an adventure sport. That really is it. We have some people on the show that are world-class career climbers that have summited Everest many, many times and all that kind of stuff. It's great to hear from these people. But you don't have to be one of those guys or gals to be on the Adventure Sports Podcast. We just want you to share your enthusiasm about the adventure sport that you love. Yep. Well, guys, get out there and do something fun and make sure you share it with us because we want to hear all about it. The whole point is to inspire people, so we want to be inspired by you as well. Right on. So, Travis, thanks for the time to dialogue a little bit about James Peak. I'm going to transition into the segment where I'm going to give a uh, little tutorial about how to do day climbs. But before we go, tell our guests, tell our listeners here, how did it feel to stand on top of another mountain? What does it feel like to get to the top of a mountain at altitude? You know, as a lot of things go, it kicked my butt. I mean, like I said, I I did a lot better than I thought I would after having not been uh, hiking, backpacking, and climbing high summits. But when you finally get up there, it feels amazing because you, after breathing, you know, in and out, you know, so quickly and just trying to catch your breath the entire time at that altitude. And when you finally get up there and you take that final <sighs> breath that catches it for you, now you're staying there peacefully. You're not breathing heavily. You're just standing there relaxing. It was the best feeling in the world because you realize you just did something that kicked your butt. And I keep bringing up my age. I know I'm not an old man. I'm 43 years old. At the same time, I'm not 20 anymore. You know, this is a lot easier when you're 20. So when you can get up there and realize, you know what? I can still do this and I can still do this easily. And I can foresee myself doing this, you know, many years into the future. That's a good feeling to realize that you still got it and you can still get up there and experience uh, what a lot of people don't take the time and exert the energy to do. So it truly is an amazing feeling uh, for that reason and just to simply look out on the horizon and experience that wind in your face and, and see for many miles in all directions. Yeah, yeah, well said. You know, it's another aspect of it that I love is when you take the time and the effort to climb a mountain instead of driving to the top of one or something. There's a, an overwhelming feeling of accomplishment and well-being. It's healing somewhere deep in the gut. Man, I, I stand up there and I'm just like, wow, this is what life's about. You know, John Denver got famous uh, in part because of his song Rocky Mountain High. Some people think that that's about drugs. It's not. <laughs> it's about climbing these <laughs> mountains and seeing these views. And you do get just this natural, amazing feeling of well-being and accomplishment and uh, once you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And those of you who haven't yet, it's worth it. It's cool. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people would describe this as a drug. It really kind of is. It is addictive, and you get that you get that endorphin rush from doing it. So yeah. maybe, maybe he was onto something. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks for your right, time. Kurt. Yeah, man. It was fun talking. We need to do this more often. All right. Later. <laughs> See ya. Around the time of the holidays last year, a group of us climbed Parnassus, and we did a trip report about it. And I thought it might be fun to finish off the episode back by popular demand, Why Climb a Mountain? The music is by Stone Hubbard, and the text 
by yours truly. Enjoy. Why climb a mountain? It won't make you rich. Climbing won't make you more popular or better looking. Climbing a mountain won't win you social status or a better position at the office. And climbing is really hard work. So why do we climb? Well, why paint? Why sing or dance? Why do writers write? Why do sculptors sculpt or carvers carve? Why do carpenters create beauty in homes and in buildings? One might ask, why breathe? Why breathe? Isn't life more than just earning a living and paying the bills? Can it be more than keeping a schedule and meeting obligations? You know, life is an act of worship. We create because we breathe, because we are. So why climb a mountain, especially when the air is full of microscopic snow and the temperatures are below zero F and the wind is biting? It is an act of gratitude that we live and breathe. We pay homage to the giver, the source. We play, face the challenges, work, explore. We live larger than the everyday. A playground is out there. It has been shaped and sculpted, formed, but not just for itself. It is there to be touched, danced with, and to teach us how small and how big we are. So why climb? Descartes uttered the familiar words, I think, therefore I am. There is something that primal about climbing. It is that raw, real, fundamental. I don't know who first answered the question of why climb a mountain by responding because it's there, but that speaks to the fundamental nature. Why climb? We don't have to. It's not easy, but it is there for us to experience. For me, it is meditation, climbing. It is living the photograph, walking through it, tasting it, feeling it. Nature batters the climber. It screams that maybe we don't really belong there, but then embraces us and tells us that she's glad we came to visit, to see, to commune with the most extreme beauty, absorbed. Maslow tried to teach us that until our basic needs are met and our basic fears are comforted, that we'll struggle to live in the higher experiences of life like self-actualization, self-esteem, and even love. He has a point. But maybe people need to love first. Maybe they need to face fears and challenges as they reach for the higher life. Maybe facing challenges and fears by going and doing and touching the extremes. Maybe by doing that we bridge the levels of life. No longer a hierarchy, but an untidy mashup undissected, organic, interwoven, real. When we climb, we are scared and self-actualized together. We find ourselves cold, tired, hungry, and in this state facing life-threatening challenges, while at the same moment, the same exhausted and scary moment, knowing more about the meaning of life, our rightful place in this world, and who and what we are than at any other time. Maslow makes a good point, but it's not a law. It's a framework for understanding. It does not always apply. Gravity? Now that's a law. The cold wind? A law. The ice and the biting snow? Laws. Absolutes. We know what these things do. Whether climbing a mountain is battling to move against the curvature of the space-time continuum, like Einstein said, or just pushing against the sucking attraction of matter, like Newton explained, 
doesn't really matter on the mountain. We know what gravity does, and we play in it. We play with it. We go up, it pushes us down. It's a dance that we fundamentally understand. Climbing is like that. Fundamental forces encountered, breathed, done. Why climb? When you have seen the most extreme beauty one can imagine. When absolutely no words can describe the experience. When you taste of life more fundamentally than you thought possible. When you are absolutely in the moment, one breath at a time, rhythmic stepping, a seemingly eternal dance, then you know, then you know.